Good morning. I'm very humbled to be here, really, and to be able to share with you about God and what God is doing in the inner city of Des Moines and what he has done uh, through Freedom for Youth Ministries. Um, just a little bit about myself. My wife and I have been longtime HOPE members, really from the beginning out in West Des Moines, but it's only recently, like within the, within the last year, that we have joined um, Hope Des Moines. And so we're so excited to be here and we feel like we really fit into this group. Um, today I want to uh, share with you two goals that I have today. Um, one is to encourage you by presenting evidence of God's faithfulness and power as it's demonstrated through this ministry we call Freedom for Youth Ministries. Um, I know that there's some of you that have come in this morning that may be feeling down, feeling discouraged, um, maybe feeling like, where's God in my life? Is God still alive and well, and is he able to answer my prayers? Maybe you're facing difficulties, and it is my prayer that through this testimony of what he's done through Freedom for Youth that that you will be encouraged and you will go out of here knowing that we serve a God who is powerful and is alive and well. Secondly, um, we're gonna touch on the text today and um, it's a very challenging text if you heard what was read this morning and um, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm sitting out there, I like to be challenged and I like to grow in my faith and so this is gonna be an opportunity um, for God to really challenge us in our faith. So let me start um, by just saying that I'm just an ordinary small town Iowa guy. Um, grew up in southwest Iowa. Um, was raised in a, a great family, a Lutheran church. Um, I came to know Christ at an early age. Um, I really felt like... Um, you know, I, I understood that Jesus died for my sins. I understood that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. And so at an early age, I accepted that by faith. Um, but it's kind of like my faith stalled out right there. And as I got older and, and grew and went to high school and then on to college, it seemed like church wasn't all that relevant for me anymore. Um, but I still had that, that inner faith. My dad was the accounting teacher in high school, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go into accounting. So I went to Iowa State, got an accounting degree, and then landed in Des Moines working for a CPA firm. And I did that for three years. Um, along that time, I met my wife, and we began to have children. And after about three years, I figured that uh, accounting was not really for me, and so I went to work for an insurance company in town and began working in their marketing department, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed and, and got to meet a lot of great people. But it was a long after about probably seven years of working for this insurance company that I started to have this uneasiness in me. And it was like, uh, I'm just not content. Maybe some of you were there right now where you're going is there anything more to life than this? Because I just feel like I'm not in the right place right now. And let me just pause for a minute and say, you know, no one calling is better than another. And so 
those of you that um, are out there working in the marketplace, please know God needs his followers out there in the marketplace. And so I don't want anybody to go away thinking, I got to quit my job on Monday and start a ministry. That's not what this is about. Um, but I was searching and I got to a point where, quite honestly, I became physically sick. I was so distressed over it. I felt trapped. My wife was at home. We had three girls. Um, so I had the, the paycheck and the insurance. I felt trapped. And, and yet this, this longing for something else would not go away. Um, finally, um, God gave me the courage to follow his lead, and I really felt like he was saying, you jump, I'll catch you. And that was a really hard decision for us to make, but my wife and I made it together, and in June of 1998, I walked in and resigned my position. And everybody went, what are you gonna do? And I said, I don't know. I may go back to school. I, I, I have to find whatever it is that's gonna make me happy. And, and, you know, during that time, isn't it amazing how when we get into crisis, our, our faith changes, um, we turn to God more, we pray more, we get into the Bible, and that's exactly what I was doing. Um, I wanted everything God had. I was seeking him, Lord, please show me what it is. I, was, I got into Bible studies, my prayer life changed. Um, it was really a time of growing me up, if you will. Um, it wasn't more than probably two or three months after I resigned, this idea came into my head. It's like God answered that prayer. And the prayer, the answer to the prayer was, I want you to tell the inner city kids about me. Now, I had some experience working in the inner city because during my time of trial, I started volunteering different places. Um, I thought, I've got to figure out what it is I'm supposed to do. I remember I became a big brother in the big brother, big sister program. Um, but I also worked for um, a volunteer for this organization called Good Samaritan Urban Ministries that had transitional housing for moms and children in the inner city. And I went to that director and I said, I believe God's given me this vision to work with these kids and I had a you know, I just wrote and wrote and wrote what I felt like God was showing me, and I showed it to him, and the first words out of his mouth was, do you want to come do this with us? And I was taken back by that, and it's like, I got to go pray about this, and I prayed for a day, and I thought, yes, this is where God wants me to get my feet wet, and so I accepted that position and started building youth programs. You know, what's interesting, it was weeks later I said, how much are you going to pay me anyway? All of a sudden, money was not in the equation. Because I knew if this is truly my calling, God has to take care of me. Yes, it may require a change in lifestyle, but I was ready to do that. Because I wanted to follow God's calling. And obviously, it was a lot less. And we did have to change some things, but God continued to provide for all of our needs. And so um, I worked for this organization for five years and began to develop um, youth programs. I remember um, Chuck Pickett and I, some of you know Chuck that's here, 
um, we were working at 6th and Hickman at the apartment complexes and working with children there. And I used to drive home at night giggling, like, this is so cool. Here's these little kids that are coming to know Jesus. And I just, I hadn't felt that excitement and passion for so long. And so it was just the greatest feeling I can remember to know that I'm finally in a place where God wants me to be. Um, But the vision was bigger. And so I went and looked for a location, a place where this vision of being able to reach out to inner city kids and, and to allow them to discover their gifts and talents and to come to know Jesus and to develop a hope for their future. And I landed on a piece of property that sits right off of Martin Luther King and Hickman, just west of Quick Trip, if, if you know where that is, on the north side of Hickman. There were two acres there for sale and they had like seven buildings on it that were all run down. And I went in there, I looked at it, and immediately I felt like God was showing me the different things that we could do in these buildings to reach these kids. And, and I talked to the real estate agent, and he said, well, there's one building that the owner's not going to sell. He's got all his antique cars in it. It's like 3,500 square feet. I said, man, I see a worship center there. I've got to have this. And I said to the agent, do me a favor, make him an offer of $400,000, including that building. They were asking three fifty dollars without it. And the agent got kind of upset at me. And he's like, I already told you they're not going to sell it. And I said, would you just do me a favor and go ask him? Well, he comes back scratching his head. I guess they're going to take the offer. I'm like, yes. Did I tell you I didn't have any money? <laughs> I remember if I told you that part or not. And this agent is looking at me like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? I said, how long will you give me to raise the money? And they said, we'll take it off the market for four months. You can ra- if you can raise that money in four months, we'll sell it to you. I said, fair enough. And I walked out of there going, God, <laughs> I don't know the first person I'm going to go ask. I really don't. But if this is your will, I believe you can do this. And what I saw happen was God had already prepared the hearts of many people, including different pastors in this town, that he had showed them the same vision. And so when I went and talked to them, they're like, this makes sense. I had a church that I think I was able to speak there three or four times, and they took an offering. Um, There were youth groups that were raising money um, for other kids. It was amazing. Um, Had three weeks left on this, and I had $350,000, which is great, but I'm still 50,000 short. And they called me, and they said, are you ready to close? I said, yep, I'm ready to close. Three weeks, I'm going, Lord, you're not done yet, are you? But I had nowhere else to go talk. And, and so uh, I remember coming out of a meeting, we were praying, and there was a message on my desk. It was from a pastor at one of the churches in town. He said, I want you to know that an extra $30,000 came in this weekend for your center we weren't expecting. And I'm like, 
you know, hallelujah. And then what do we do by the end of the day? Oh, Lord, where am I going to get the other 20,000, right? And that evening, I'm at home eating dinner, the phone rings, and it's a guy from church. And he says, are you still raising money for that center? And I said, yeah, I'm getting down to the wire. He said, well, I have this, these stock options that I totally forgot about. All of a sudden, they call me. They say, we're sending you a check. If you want it, you can have it. It's $20,000. It was the most powerful move of God I have seen. And I want you to know, if God can do that for all these kids, he can do it for you. Whatever it is that you're dealing with today, we serve a powerful, awesome God. I walked in there with a cashier's check for $400,000 and their jaws hit the floor. And then we began to assess all the work that we needed to do. And we got started on one building and, and trying to f figure out how to get programs going. In the meantime, the organization I was working for was crumbling. And, and it started to get really bad and um, just lots of things going on and I felt like God was saying, I want you to leave. I gotta tell you, that was probably one of the lowest points in my life because it's like, what? Wasn't that you that raised all this money? Wasn't that you that called me out of my job? Here I am, back to nothing. But I was so convinced that he wanted me to leave, I went in and resigned. And uh, I gotta tell you, it was a low point for me and, and I wasn't real big on ministry because there were lots of things going on that, that kind of gave me you know, a bad taste in my mouth. However, it was about that time that the Des Moines Register was running a series of articles on the homeless young adults, our 18 to 21 year olds that were running the city and I'm reading those articles, and again, here's God just like breaking my heart for these kids, you know? And I read about their struggles, and, and I saw all these other organizations that were doing so much to help them. But you know what I didn't read about? Who's telling them about Jesus? Who's giving them hope for eternity? And I thought, well, I don't have anything else to do. So a friend of mine had a muffin store. I took his, his day-old muffins and started going down under the bridges to try to find these kids. And uh, the first bridge I went to, I found this young lady. Um, trust me, she didn't look like this when I found her. Her name's Michelle. She was 18-year-old, runaway from Ohio. Um, she said it was her mom that got her started on meth when she was 13. Her dad was a drug dealer. She came to Des Moines to live with a cousin, and they got in an argument, and she got kicked out, and here she is. Nowhere to go, no family. Um, I could tell that she was very, very depressed. Um, she was sleeping down there. There were three other guys under the bridge. Every time I would go down there, she'd take her little blanket and pull it up over her head as if to tell me, whatever you got, I don't want it. And um, I just kept coming back and coming back and just stay for maybe 10 minutes. And, and one day, probably after two weeks or so, 
She asked me um, for a ride to Nolan Plaza. I said, sure. So she jumped in my truck. I gave her a ride. As she was getting out, I said, I just want you to know that God loves you and that he's got a plan for your life. It was the first time I saw her smile. First time. And I thought, wow, I think God just kind of touched her heart right there. And uh, I couldn't wait to get back and to see her. And when I did, the next day, um, she was different. All of a sudden, she began to talk to me. And um, we started striking up a relationship. And before long, from the shelter, she would call me and we would talk. And um, my family was involved in really helping her and, and, and trying to love her right where she was at. I would share my faith with her, and I would say things like, you know, Jesus wants to give you a new start. Wipe your slate clean and, and a new start. And she didn't want to listen. She would be like, all right, preacher boy, that's enough, you know. And, and so I wasn't persistent, but I wanted her to know that God truly loved her, and he sent his son for her. And... I began to learn the life of a drug addict. Um, she would be gone for three weeks at a time. Don't know if she's dead, where she's at. All of a sudden, she'd pop into our lives again as if nothing ever happened. And um, during one of those times, she came back and she said to me, uh, Mark, I think I'm ready. And I'm like, what do you mean you're ready? She says, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And she said, I never told you this, but the first day you came down under the bridge was the day I was going to kill myself. And do you know that 49% of kids in her situation attempt suicide? Because they just can't deal with it. And what she, when she said that, it struck me like, oh, God, what are you doing here? And, and uh, I saw her do a 180, and I saw her go from a young lady that used to curse God to a lady that was in church praising him with everything she had. In fact, in 2003, Pastor Mike asked if we would come up in front out in West Des Moines and she could give her testimony, and, and we did. It was like five services still at that time. And she was just as real and raw as could be. It was, this is who I am, and this is what God has done for me. That picture, she's 13 weeks clean. Cold turkey. And, um, of course, that started a lot of people saying, Mark, you got to do something with this. And I'm like, yeah, but ministry, I don't know. It's not all it's cut out to be. And, and then God's just like, I want you to reach more kids for Christ. And so I went looking for a building and found this. This is right across from Sam Betty's on 2nd Avenue, if you know where that is. The um, owner said, I'll lease it month to month, and it's 1500 a month, and I'll give you the first month's rent free. I said, sounds good to me, and, and we created a daytime drop-in center for these homeless young people, a place where they could come and have refuge, and um, it was an awesome, awesome experience. Um, 
there's, there's a handful of the first kids that I worked with, and um, it was um, amazing to see their faces. Like, the Christian community is doing this for us, and it's like, yes, this is for you. And before long, volunteers are bringing food, and we had, um, we had a big box of Bibles in a big conference room, and I would say, hey, anybody who wants to come to a Bible study, come on in, and most of them would come. They had a service on Thursday nights called Immersion. Any of you remember that at West Des Moines? I would take a van load of kids out there on Thursday night, and um, I think over the first two months, 13 kids got baptized at that service. It was awesome. It was a move of God like nothing I'd seen. I also met this young lady. This is Rita. Um, Rita was a challenge, to say the least. Um, but I felt so sorry for Rita because of her upbringing and, and no parenting in her life. Um, there were multiple times I had to kick Rita out, and she left screaming and yelling every name in the book at me. Um, but she knew we were there for her. And she would come in, and she, one day she was into Wicca, witchcraft, okay? And, and, I mean, we saw some crazy stuff. And she's trying to cast spells. And I took the Bible out and started reading it. She literally went into the bathroom and threw up. And it was like, we're dealing with some heavy spiritual warfare here with these kids. And we did not give up on them. And um, I know I gave Rita a couple Bibles at different times, and, and I think her heart was beginning to open up, and then I didn't see her for a long time. 2005, we built this house, or we bought this house and fixed it up, and we called it the Promise House, and so we could start bringing kids in under a roof and discipling them. Um, this is up on 6th Avenue. Um, it was heartbreaking to take kids to church and drop them off at the river, especially when they want to change. And so we were working really hard to provide housing um, for these kids. The, um, all the time that we're growing in this little place, um, I can tell you that God had his hand on this ministry. I remember in the second month waking up and going, how are we going to pay for this? And I went to the post office box one day and there's a check for $10,000 from somebody I don't even know. And I called all my board of directors and said, do you know this person? They said, no. And it was like a message loud and clear to me from God. You keep doing what you're doing. I got you covered. I got you covered. God is powerful. He is able to do that. Um, all the while, as more and more kids are coming in and we're cramped for space, I'm thinking about this $400,000 center that I walked away from. And it was too painful to even drive by it for a while. And then it, after a while at night, I began to go in the parking lot and pray. It had been vacant for two years as this ministry was crumbling. And quite honestly, they would, wanted to give it away to anybody but me. And I kept praying, God, is there any way that we could have that facility so we could do more ministry? And um, God moved another mountain. Uh, in May of 2006, 
for one dollar, that organization handed me the keys to that campus for one dollar. And I didn't have to do a thing. And I can tell you that God just pried it right out of their hands. And so we got a campus that needed a lot of work. A big open area that started like that, that we turned into that. An oasis for the kids, a place where they could find God, where they knew that there was hope, you know, that it was safe. We had old buildings that looked like that on the campus that we did that with to create a nice space, we call it Opportunity Avenue. There's a woodworking shop and a welding shop. There's an art studio, a mechanical shop where kids can begin to discover what are my gifts and talents? What is it that I can do? In 2010, we built this home. We needed another home, we were out of space. This is a block from our campus. Um, We call this Safe Haven which is for young women and has housed over 100 women now, um, young ladies, usually around 18, 19, 20 years old, that are coming out of very bad situations. Some trafficked, um, some coming out of uh, jail, prison for the first time, but they've all hit bottom and they're ready for change. And they may not know anything about Christ, but they're willing to listen and we bring them in and we have a full discipleship program. And many, many young ladies have come to know Christ um, through this process. We also were very interested in employment and how are we gonna teach these kids to be self-sufficient and to work? So we started this coffee business called Freedom Blend Coffee. And we're teaching that we bought a roaster, which you see there, and we started importing beans from different third world countries and learning how to roast. And then the kids would get paid. They would learn to roast, they would package, they would sell them. And um, it was a great way to introduce kids that have never worked in their life to an opportunity to begin to get dignity. You know, when we work and we get rewarded for it, there's dignity in that instead of just getting a handout. And these kids were learning that, and they're learning respect and to show up on time. Um, In West Des Moines, um, if you buy a cup of coffee at the cafe, it's Freedom Blend Coffee. Um, We also are selling it at Palmer's on Ingersoll and out in Urbandale, and several other churches have it too. So the kids are working hard, and they're doing good, and, and it's really great coffee. But the vision's bigger than that for our employment. We bought this car wash that sits right next door to us, and we're converting it into a coffee house that looks like this. And so the kids, we hope to employ 30 to 50 kids at a time that can work and can learn these soft skills. We already have employers waiting to hire our kids that graduate from our employment training program. Isn't that cool? Um, One guy owns several McDonald's franchises, He says, I'll hire every kid that graduates from your program not to run my cash registers in my management training program. Employers are having a hard time finding young people that know how to work, that are honest and diligent and will do a good job. We're getting ready to break ground on that here this month, so I'm real excited uh, for that and hopefully by the end of the year we'll be at a point where you guys can go have coffee and 
and look one of these kids in the eye and say, great job, keep up the good work. That's what it's all about. So I've got a real short video I want to show you um, that kind of shows you a little bit more about what we do at Freedom. We serve an awesome God, amen? Let's give God a hand. What's, what's God going to do in your life? What is it you're praying for? What is it you're asking for? Because God wants to fulfill those dreams for you. I want to touch a little bit on the text today, which I told you is a very challenging text. And uh, um, Jesus asked two questions of his disciples. Who do people say that I am? And you know, the, the scripture said, they answered, as if more than one answered. One said, oh, some people say you're John the Baptist. Oh, some people say you're Elijah. Maybe another disciple said, yeah, some say you're one of the other prophets. But then he asked the question that really probes deep into our hearts. The first question, I think, was a setup for the second one. Who do you say I am? Now everybody didn't pipe up, did they? I just picture quietness in the room until Peter spoke. You are the Christ. And I love Matthew's account because he goes even further and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Peter, because this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. Peter gave the right answer. Peter had that faith that was given to him by the Father. And so it begs the question of all of us today, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? You advance the next slide, please. Ephesians 2.8 says, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. Praise God we don't have to earn it, that there is this free gift of salvation for us if we're willing to accept that gift and trust by faith and faith alone that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to cover my sin because I am a sinner and I don't deserve to go to heaven but only through the blood of Christ am I able to go. And so I have received that by faith, and I hope all of you have as well. Next slide, please. The Barna Group said, if you ask Americans, about 80% are going to say, yes, I'm a Christian. And about 48% are going to say, I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's kind of scary if you ask me. Because half the people that say they're Christian are thinking they're either going to heaven because I'm a good person, I go to church every Sunday, um, I don't know, you name it. But it's scary and we, we have to examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. You know, back then, they even asked Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? They asked him that in Luke. 
Here's what he said. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he'll reply, I don't know you, where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourself thrown out. People will come from the east and west and north and south and take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Hard teaching, I know. Very hard teaching. Um, But this is a time to examine our own hearts and decide, are we in the faith? In closing, I want to take a look at this feast in the kingdom of God um, because it applies to us today. In Luke 14... Jesus gives this this illustration. A certain man was preparing a great banquet, like the feast, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on the way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The master, our father, is passionate about filling up that banquet hall. And in fact, he says, go quickly, as if maybe there's not a lot of time. You know, at Freedom for Youth, we take that very seriously that we're trying to find as many kids as we can. In fact, we started going to other communities, and we now have centers going in Perry and Winterset and Stewart and Mitchellville, and we're going to continue to add more because there's so many kids out there that have never heard about Jesus. And we want to go to those country lanes and find them and bring them in. But this message is a message to all of us that we are to go quickly. And we are to go find them. And it's a real challenge for us. I introduced you to Rita a few minutes ago. Um, What I didn't tell you is Rita called me last week. Hadn't heard from her in two, three years. She said she's in Kansas City. And she said, Mark, I got stage four cancer. It's in my spine, it's in my bones, it's in my liver. And I was shocked. They, they're giving me three to six months to live. I had to ask, Rita, will I see you in heaven at the banquet? Yes, Mark, you'll see me at the banquet. I said, you have faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, Mark, I have faith in Jesus Christ. And I was like, yes. Don't we serve a powerful God? 
a God who is able to bring people to himself. You know, the, the scripture said the first will be last and the last will be first. Hope read us first because she didn't have it in this world. At Hope, we have a, a model here, Connect, Grow, Serve. And I just want to allow you all to look at that and, and where am I on that? Do I need to connect? We have prayer people that will be up here that will help you connect um, to Christ, to the body, um, to this church. Um, the church is very passionate about growing. There's different opportunities, whether it's Alpha or Core or some of the other studies they have. I know a gentleman, Mark Cobbler here, um, has a discipleship program um, that is very good. There's all sorts of ways for us to grow deeper. And lastly, to serve. Um, VBS, what a great opportunity to serve. Find out what it is you're called to do, and you will be so enriched um, when you follow God's calling. Will you stand with me and pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to um, glorify your name through all that you're doing to save these precious children and young adults, Lord. Um, Father, we know that you have um, equipped us each in our own way to go and to invite people to that banquet and to make sure that it's full. And Lord, I pray now that you speak to each of our hearts in your own way. And Lord, that you direct us and guide us and uh, we will give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.